After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Some of you are experiencing some serious deja vu right now, thinking, wasn't that the same passage that was read last week? I have this nightmare about a church service that just keeps repeating itself over and over again. Um, so yes, it, it, it actually is the same passage as last week, um, and that's not entirely by design or on purpose, actually. We were supposed to move on to, to some other character. The series is called The People of Christmas, um, but I just couldn't get these magi out of my head this week. So we're returning for another week, another look at these, these mysterious men from the East. And I know some of you are upset about, you know, what about the other characters? What about the shepherds? But there are, there are other Christmases. We will we'll have other opportunities to give everybody their, their, their fair share of the attention. Uh, before we get into it, I want to make an announcement about the Thanksgiving offering from last week. Um, most of you know that we set a goal to give $120,000, um, either give or pledge $120,000 in a single Sunday, single week, um, for initiatives and projects inside the church and for outside projects as well, causes we want to give to, groups we want to support, um, Sandy Relief. Now we're looking also at hopefully being able to financially support the the community and families in Connecticut as well in some way. Um, so anyway, the, the goal was $120,000 for inside the church and outside the church as well. And uh, 38 families or individuals participated and gave a total of $236,000 last week. Yeah. And I hope that, you know, that makes you feel the same way that it makes me feel, which is just grateful to be a part of, of this group of people, um, grateful to be somewhere where God is at work. Because, you know, if you, if you keep this um, mental list of things that couldn't have happened unless God had acted, um, I hope you keep a list like that. You're supposed to keep a list like that so you can go, go back to it and kind of review it and, in bad times. Um, you can now add this to your list. You know, it doesn't make sense. I mean, there's no, there's no 
natural explanation for how we would be able to do that. Um, you know, Kara was saying at our pastor's meeting this week, do you know how, how hard a nonprofit works to raise a quarter of a million dollars? But it's not, you know, it's the whole, that's the whole point. It's not a nonprofit. It's the Church of Jesus Christ. And I, I couldn't raise $236,000 for an, an organization if my life depended on it. Um, but yet here we see God moving in people's hearts, and it just, it just happens. Um, so add that to your list of things that, that you've seen happen, you personally have seen happen, that you know couldn't have happened unless... Unless God was at work. And we, we're, we're already talking about how we're going to allocate the funds, you know. I mean, I'll, basically the bottom line is just means we'll be able to do more than, of everything we were going to do. Um, so we're really excited about that. We feel like it, God has given us the money for a reason. I feel like the, as a team of pastors, we set the bar here. And then the church set the bar up here. So now we're, we're catching up to you. We're, we're going up to, to meet you where you set the bar. And are praying to God for a vision to match the, the, the generosity of the church. Um, the, the last thing I'll say is just that the, the most appropriate response is this response of humble praise and kind of reflecting it back to God. Um, this exact scenario actually happens in Second Chronicles chapter 29. David leads the people in this big offering for the temple, to build the temple, and the exact same thing happened. Everybody gave way more than they thought they were going to give. And I want to read you what the passage says. This is Second Chronicles 29. It says, The people rejoiced at the willing response, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, and this is the part I want you to hear, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and he, we have given you only what comes from your hand. So even the, the privilege of being able to give like this is grace. Even the opportunity to be able to give a gift to God, to be able to participate in God's work is grace. And so we say thank you through the offering, and then we say thank you for the offering. We say thank you for the opportunity to get to, to participate in something like this. Obviously, it is a great um, privilege and pleasure to be the pastor of a church like this a church that says we want whatever god has for us we don't want anything to hold us back let's let's see what that is so before we get into the message i want to pray a a prayer of thanksgiving i'm actually going to read this from second chronicles 29 pray that the same prayer that david prayed so if you bow your heads with me praise be to you lord from everlasting to everlasting Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Amen. Switching gears to the Magi. Didn't, didn't really know how to transition that. I also want to say, too, that I was offline all day on Friday and didn't hear about the shootings till late in the day. And um, I, w- I wish we were had a sermon on, on that today. Um, but that's just kind of a, a miss on my part. Because um, that's obviously what a lot of us are, are thinking about. Um, and, you know, it's obviously a, a very 
spiritual issue. Um, so apologies for that, and I forgive you if you're a little distracted this morning. Um, but you know, it it all relates somehow. I don't. I don't. There's nothing in this directly that that's um, supposed to be relevant to the shootings. But um, as we come to God, there's there's always something that that connects. So um, to whatever extent you can. We'll we'll uh, look at the magi again, and if your thoughts are elsewhere, you are forgiven for that. Um, last week we talked about who these guys were, and we uh, debunked a couple of myths. They first of all, there weren't three of them. Second of all, they weren't kings. So the the song "We Three Kings of Orient" is kind of a, a misnomer on every count. By the way, I did forget to mention last week that the only good thing that comes out of the song. We Three Kings is um, if you grew up in a strong, godly Christian home like I did, you, you might have learned that the fractured Christmas carol version, We Three Kings of Orientar tried to smoke a rubber cigar. It was loaded and exploded. That's how we got so far. Um, so we're actually teaching that to your kids right now in Children's Church. <laughs> Um, hopefully you can get to enjoy that the rest of the Christmas season. Very, very beautiful, very moving. Anyway, uh, the the song is you know full of errors. They weren't kings. They weren't there weren't three of them. There were these magi, these Zoroastrians from Iran. These these pagan guys that were seeking. They were spiritually seeking. And what I want to focus on today is not so much who they were. You know, last week it was about them as desperate versus Herod as in control. Um, and this morning, instead of kind of trying to look at them as illustrative of this big cosmic spiritual principle, I want to go a little bit, take a more practical tone, and look at these guys, these magi, as models that we can emulate. Because what, whoever they were, um, and we never really know exactly for sure, the one label we know applies is they were, they were spiritual seekers. They were God seekers. They were looking for God. They were the, f- the first in some ways um, after the birth, birth of Christ. And it applies to anybody who is a spiritual seeker, and there are a lot of spiritual seekers in, in this town in particular, people that, that have questions but no answers. And the, the, you know, what, So what is a spiritual seeker? The, the questions have stayed the same. They're eternal. They're universal. Whether you're a, a Zoroastrian in Iran in AD 0 or a Jew in Palestine in AD 0 or in AD 2012, whether you live in, in New York or London or Dubai, it doesn't matter. Everybody asks these kind of big meta questions. Why am I here? Um, what's the purpose of life? Is there any meaning? Is there a God? If there is a God, how do I get to know him? So it means to be spiritually seeking. And that's obviously what, what the, the position that these guys found themselves in, searching the heavens, looking for a sign. God, are you out there? God, is someone coming? Surely someone's going to come. And as we look at them, as we look at the steps they take, we can kind of find a pattern for ourselves. Because they were successful. That's what makes them worth emulating. They start out with questions. They start out not knowing anything. And they end up at the feet of Christ, worshiping, overjoyed because they found answers to their questions. So three, three things they did. These will be the three sections of this morning's message. First, they sought. Second, they followed. And third, they rejoiced. First, they sought. Second, they followed. And third, they rejoiced. So first, they sought. The first thing you, you have to do if you want to be a seeker is actually seek. You actually have to seek. And I know that sounds obvious, but it's not because there are 
a couple of types of faux seekers, kind of pretend seekers. They look at first to be seekers, but turn out not to really be seeking, that a true seeker is differentiated from. So let me talk about those. The, the first type of faux seeker is what I would call um, a spiritual speculator. Somebody who, it's, it's not so much that they're looking for answers as, as it is that they're just kind of making up answers themselves and kind of being satisfied with those. So you, you all know somebody like this, maybe you are like this yourself, where it's kind of like, well, I've, I've always thought that God is like, well, I, you know, to me, God is, well, I, I imagine God to be, and then, you know, fill in the blank. And, and the question is, who cares what you think God is like? Who cares what, you know, your favorite New York Times best-selling author said God is like? Why should your opinion be given any weight at all? You say, well, but this is what I sincerely believe. Well, a lot of people are sincere in their beliefs, but that doesn't mean they're not still sincerely wrong. Just because you're sincere, just because you believe something, just because you heard somebody say it, doesn't mean it's true. And a lot of people stay at this level of spiritually speculating. They grab on to some spiritual idea that they've heard somewhere that they think sounds cool, and they just stick with that. There's a lot more spiritual speculators than there are spiritual seekers. The spiritual seeker, like, like the Magi, goes and finds the answer. They, they are looking in the heavens. They go on this long journey. They're asking questions of everybody they can find in Jerusalem. It's the difference between a good investigative reporter and some you know, college student blogging his opinions from his dorm room, sitting in his boxers. You know, it's, it's something that actually has a value, truth, versus just something you're making up yourself. And it's very easy to, to convince yourself, oh, I'm a spiritual seeker, when really you're just speculating. It's the first type of faux seeker. The second type of faux seeker is the, the spiritual expert. And we actually already saw these guys last week. We already introduced to them the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees in, the, in Jerusalem when the wise men arrive. And the, the expert looks at first like they're interested in seeking God, like they want to know God because they, they spend a lot of time going to church. They spend a lot of time reading and studying their Bible. And they, they seem to be very interested in the things of God. But when you press a little further, it turns out that they just kind of see religion as a, a hobby. And they just like to know things about God. And that's the case with these, these guys that the wise men, the, the, the magi run into. Um, they, you know, they come and ask him, you know, where's the baby to be born? And we talked about this last week. And they, they know the answer. They have the answer. They not only have the quote, but they have the site. Book, chapter, and verse. Here's, here's where the baby is supposed to be born. And they smile, look around, make sure everybody approves of their knowledge. And they say, next question. There's no, there is no next question. Or there, the only next question is, if the baby is born in Bethlehem, then why on earth are you still sitting here in Jerusalem? We talked about last week. Why are you not willing to go those next six miles? So the, the expert's different than the speculator, and, and at least they do have like accurate answers. They have correct information. They've read the books. They have credible sources. They actually do know what they're talking about. They're not ignorant like the speculator. But they're not a true seeker in that they're not willing to do anything on the basis of that knowledge. They're not willing to, to go anywhere with it. They just take it and sit with it. Unlike the true seekers, unlike the magi, who once they've got that piece of knowledge, are thrilled to go and apply it. To go use that knowledge to find God. So the first thing you've got to do if you want to be a true spiritual seeker, 
like the Magi, is actually seek. The wise men sought. That's the first thing. The second one is they followed. And you say, well, you know, if these Magi are supposed to be our um, template, our guide, our model to follow, it, I don't know if this really works because it seems like they kind of had an unfair advantage. They got this star. They got this sign. God revealed himself, especially to them. It kind of makes things a lot easier. I mean, I would follow if I got a sign. I would follow if I got a star in the heavens just for me. How easy is that? It's not really fair to compare myself to them. And I hear this, this kind of thing all the time. So the way it works is God only gives the star, God only gives the sign to the people who have already made up their mind in advance that they're going to follow when they see it. Because what people want is they want to see the sign, the star first, then they've got that option, that live option on the table. And I can follow it or I can not follow it. But, I mean, why? it's nice to have, it's nice to have a sign. And God never gives signs or stars or any type of leading to people in that sort of situation. The reason he gives a sign to the wise men, to the magi, the reason he gives them a star is because they'd already decided they were going to follow. And they do follow as soon as they see it. Jesus has this conversation all the time in the Gospels with, with unbelieving people. They say, you know, Jesus comes to town, and they say, Jesus, do a miracle. Show us a sign. And Jesus says, what, what do you think I am, like a, a trick monkey? I, I'm not a cheap magician. I'm not going to give you any miracles or any signs. Here's why. You don't believe now, and after I do the miracle, you're still not going to believe. So why am I going to waste my time? I only do miracles for people who believed before they saw the miracle. It's tough. It is tough. Because then you have this gulf that you know, continues to widen. Other people that don't believe and say, I'll believe when I see it, and they're never going to see it. You know, this is why, why do some people never see any miracles in their whole life? They're not, they don't believe. They're, and no miracle is going to convince them even if they did see it. On the other hand, if you believe already, if you're committed to following already, then the sign will come. And God does this. He will not leave a true spiritual seeker, someone who wants to follow him but doesn't know how, out in the cold without a sign. He just can't. He wants to reveal himself. He wants to give you some sign. So I don't know what it is for you. You know, if you are a true spiritual seeker, if you've if you look at yourself and say, yes, I am willing to follow. Whatever it is, whatever the sign is, I would follow it. The chances are it's already in your life, you know, whether that be um, a book or a movie or a, um, a church or an event, an experience. It could be anything. Most often, most often, the most typical thing is that that sign, that star, is another person. You know, a believing family member or a believing friend that helps point you to God. Um, and what I'll say to those of you who are already believing, who are no longer just spiritual seekers, but kind of across the line, is that God has put you as a sign, as a star in someone else's life. And to the extent that you refused, you know, the, the old spiritual, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, won't, won't hide it under a bushel, won't let, let Satan blow it out, I'm going to let it shine. To the extent that you refuse to shine, to the extent that you refuse to be that guide to that person, then they're just out in the cold, looking up, seeing nothing, not knowing where to go. Well, I don't, I don't want to intrude. Well, I don't want to push myself. Well, you know, I don't want to offend. None of those concerns are valid when you're, when you're 
confronting this situation, of somebody spiritually seeking, looking for God, and God's put you in their life to help show them the way. They followed. They followed the sign that they were given. They followed the star. First, they sought. Second, they followed. And the third thing was they rejoiced. The, the literal, if you read like a literal English translation of the, this passage, when it says, when they got to the house, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, which is doubly redundant. You know, you, rejoiced is one thing. Rejoiced with joy is another. Rejoiced exceedingly with joy is another. And then rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So four times they rejoiced. They were really, really excited about this. And the question is, why? why? What was there to be so joyful about? It's the same thing that the shepherds were so joyful about. The angel comes to the shepherds and says to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He's Christ the Lord. Rejoicing in this Savior. And I think Christmas is as good a time as any to revisit this topic of Christ as Savior. And what does that mean we, you know, you hear uh, Jesus is a savior. Jesus is a savior of mankind. Jesus saved me. What do people mean when they say that? What is this good news about? What is this joy rooted in? We've, we've uh, been debunking the kind of traditions about the Magi. And now for, to answer this question about what, is, you know, what does it mean to have Christ as savior, I actually want to, uh, to cling to a tradition surrounding the Magi. So I, the disclaimer is, this uh, has no, like, biblical legitimacy at all, what I'm about to say. It's a, it's a Christian tradition that sprung up over the years. I mean, maybe, I don't know. You know, nobody really knows. It's not inspired, is all I'm saying. And, and it's surrounding this question of what do the three gifts mean? You know, because there's this gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so this is, like, tantalizing for Bible freaks. They're like, okay, what, what, a, what a gold, frankincense, and myrrh mean? And the church went through these long periods where every passage was read allegorically, you know, so it had some, some deep, mysterious meaning. I don't think that there's any need to do that. Um, you know, it, it could just be they had gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and so they, they brought it. Um, but after that long disclaimer, we're still going to do that anyway, kind of the typological meanings of these three gifts, because it's, it's a really convenient way to, to break down who Jesus is. So the gold is, is a gift for a king. It's a gift that you would give a king. And the first thing Jesus saves you from is this purposelessness and powerlessness that you, you have without him. And that's, you know, that's what drives a spiritual seeker to go looking for God, is this sense of aimlessness, this wandering, this not knowing what their life is supposed to be about. And Jesus says, King comes to you and says, here's what I want you to do, here's how I want you to live. And it means something. It's for a purpose, it's for building my kingdom, and it's going to last. All the work you do is going to last. So he saves you from, from purposelessness and powerlessness. Frankincense, uh, the only times we see frankincense mentioned in scripture there, it's like a um, incense that's burned and it represents, symbolically represents prayers ascending to God. So this frankincense that they give, you know, the typological reading of that is Jesus is priest, Jesus is intercessor, Jesus is go between, between us and God. And he saves you from this distance, this gap between you and God, where you, you pray and you don't feel like anybody is listening. You try to get through to him and you don't feel like you're connecting. Jesus is the one that comes and as God becomes man so that God knows what it's like to be man. And then you can be connected to God with this close relationship where you're actually talking to him. You're actually talking to him. He's hearing you. There's a closer connection possible because of Jesus. 
And the third thing, myrrh. Um, the third thing and the, the most important thing in many ways that Jesus saves us from. Myrrh, the only other times we see myrrh mentioned in Scripture, it's this embalming spice. It's this spice that they use to wrap dead bodies. And so you can see why this one is especially tantalizing as a kind of a symbolic um, gift. Because in, in some ways it looks like it's, it's foreshadowing what Jesus ultimately came to do, which is die. Give his life on the cross and in this third gift, we see that the biggest thing Jesus saves you from is your sins. Is He sacrifices himself. He takes the punishment for the wrongdoing of all mankind so that you can approach God as if you'd done nothing wrong at all. You say, well, explain that. Well, I can't. I, you know, I, I've been trying for, since the first day I became a pastor, and I've, I've been trying to understand it since long before that, and I can't. I can't explain it. It's what the Bible teaches. And a lot of people have somehow, by the Spirit's power, understood it and realized that in that, in that great mystery, in that great secret, Jesus paying for the sins of mankind, including your own, is the most important thing in the world. So, he saves you as king, he saves you as priest, he saves you as sacrifice. It's great joy. It's news of great joy. And in the gifts that the wise men gave to him, are kind of foreshadowed, prefigured, the gifts that he will give to us. And the, the last thing, as we close, is just, you know, this practice of giving Jesus a gift in worship um, is very appropriate. Um, it's what many of you practiced last week, giving Christ a gift in worship, saying to Jesus, I worship you as God, and here's how I do it. I, I give you this stuff. And, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because it's like, what, did, what was this baby going to do with these things? Or even the parents. I mean, the gold, yes, but the frankincense and myrrh, you know, what were they going to do with these things? Sell them, I guess. But the wise men, the, the magi, were just giving what they had. They just were giving what they had. And they're saying, look, this means something to me. I don't know if it means something to you or not, but it's a way I can say I worship you. It's a way I can bow down before you, lay myself in front of you and say, you're greater than I am. And I, I want to, to know you, I want to be a part of you, and I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to give up anything. It's what a lot of you did last week. And what I'll say to those of you that, that um, are still spiritually seeking, maybe, you know, you're not sure if Jesus is the answer. You're not sure if Jesus is the way. Um, I'll say that it's not just about you. It's not just about you getting what you need, you finding your answers. He really does desire this from you. He really does desire this gift from you, this gift of your heart. I know that sounds um, like a, like a hallmarky thing to say. You know, what do, what do you give the guy who has everything? You give him your heart. Um, but it's true. It's true. It's what, what Scripture teaches. That he cares. Out of all the billions of the people in the world, he cares. He cares about your heart. He cares about your worship. He desires that from you. And to the extent that you withhold that from him, um, he, he notices. For, for whatever reason, he notices. So this Christmas time, especially, is a great time to think about this, this giving of gifts back to Jesus. And maybe it's money, like we did last week, or maybe it's something somewhat deeper. Let's pray. Father, thank you for coming at Christmas. Thank you for coming near to us. Thank you for being a God that is with us, not a God that's distant or hard to relate to, but a God that comes and lives in our skin and 
comes as close as is possible. God, we pray that, um, I pray for those who are spiritually seeking here this morning. I pray that you would give them a sign. If they're genuine in their search for you, if they're really seeking, if they're willing to follow, I pray that you would give them a sign. This week, this month, somebody in their life, something happening to them, I pray that you would give them something to grab onto to follow, to come closer to you. And I pray all of us, God, that you would impress upon our hearts the gifts we should be giving to you this Christmas season, that you would show us what you want from us, that you would show us how we can honor you and worship you and praise you as God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.